Welcome to another episode of Kids in Space. Hello, everyone. This is Kit Kitterson, and joining us today on Kids in Space is a special guest joining us from an orbital platform halfway between the surface of the Earth and the Moon, Mr. Apsim Grill. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Please say hello to all the kids back on Earth. I, but... Okay, yes, a bit of technical difficulty, but while we wait for Mr. Grill to figure out his communications equipment, let's talk a bit about the overview effect. The overview effect is a feeling that just about every astronaut and cosmonaut has experienced when they have slipped the surly bonds of Earth. It's a huge epiphany, a moment where they see the entire world as a single little fragile ball and all of humanity huddled together in the dark. They call it life-changing. Mr. Grill, have you felt the power of the overview effect yourself? Get me out of here! Who is this? Hello, Mr. Grill. This is Kit Kitterson for Kids in Space, and we just want to ask you, how does it feel to be 90,000 miles from the surface of the planet? Listen, you little shit. You have to get me down. I don't care what it takes. I don't care what kills. You bring me back safe and quiet, or I swear I will cut off your head and feed it to swine. I will burn your children on my demonic altar and crack their bones between my teeth. I will tear your skin. Okay, yes, and we just like to Remind Mr. Grill that his microphone is live and our audience is children, kids who just love space. And you're in outer space. So please, tell us, what is it like? Like? Like nothing. That's the problem. It's a void. Okay, now listen, kiddies. The first one of you who can bring me back to Earth will earn a sex slave for a year. How's that sound, eh? A succubus demon to fasten his or her mouth around your... And that's all the time we've got today for Mr. Grill on his orbital platform. Now, let's talk radio waves on Ganymede. A lock shock. A fabulism. Chapter 12. My Narrative of Cruelty and Destruction Clang, clang, clang. I walk barefoot around my cell. My new legs are shiny, chrome, shaped as the fleshy version, but with perhaps a bit more definition. Quite flattering. I'm terribly pleased. And my back has no complaints. I whirl and strike a pose, admiring myself in the mirror. I could get used to living up here among all these Sulimar, but how to rule them? That is the real question. The answer lies in the book, if stole from me. I peer out the window at the clouds scudding beneath me. Oh, to live this far above the Cloud Watcher's domain. I wish I could be there when someone informs him Apsim is up here, looking down on him. Now, to solve this puzzle regarding clerestomy, I opened the little book when I first arrived, and this structure, the architecture, started to tremble. I began to utter a verse, and the air itself started to scream. But why? Well, to what agency do those verses appeal? It must be the night sky. 
Yet technically, clerestomy seldom appeals to the night sky itself. It appeals to the jewels. It is when we speak verses to them, the door chimes. Then it chimes again. Finally, it hisses open, and if enters, followed by two others of his ilk. They whisper in their slurring speech. Then if translates his words to my tongue through his little mechanical device. Fair quarter, Mr. Absim. Apologies for entering without permission. Only what I expect from you, if. How do you care for your legs? Priceless. They are indeed functional. No, I mean they're priceless. If and when I'm ever back in a lock shock and I find myself short on funds, I could sell this amount of refined steel for a manor and a hundred slaves. The sale of one alone would set me up for life. I could just hop around on the other. Well, that is both sad and entirely expected. These are introductions. His voice becomes stiffly formal. They will commence now. This is my guide and mentor, Falanagayet, and this is his associate, Meniatiati. They represent the dash. Charmed, I'm sure. I bow, then step back to gain some space. Watch this. I jump up and kick the light fixture clean off the ceiling, but my landing is awkward, and I nearly fall. The light unit falls sideways on the floor, flickering and buzzing. In the shadows, the Sulima nearly vanish. Their faces are shocked, as is mine. I meant to perform just a bit of dance. I didn't realize I'd jump so high. If sighs, worn down by my antics, I'm sure, and leads his delegation back to the door. Yes, your new legs outperform your old ones in every metric. You may fail, but they never shall. Now come with us, Aptim. It is time you met the dash. Moments later, we are in a cavernous chamber that if misleadingly labeled the bridge on the way here. I'd been looking forward to see how they'd build an actual bridge inside their architecture, but this is just a large command structure. Oh, I wanted soaring spans over a sea. If snorts. No, not that kind of bridge. You see, the Kulawistorophics were built millennia ago as spaceships, and they took the tradition of sailing ships by borrowing nautical terms. Ah, that kind of bridge. This thing is a ship? Well, now it is a collection. Several cities that have grown into a larger whole. Come. We walk deeper into the bridge. People work busily in all manner of abstract ways. Some wear goggles and poke at the air. Others have thrust their hands into holes and manipulate things I cannot see. Many speak to themselves and others, filling the bridge with a soft background noise. A soft blue wash of light across black walls climbing into shadows above. Only directly overhead do I see a carpet of dazzling color that is the single most extraordinary thing I have ever beheld. I gasp. What? What is it? What? If preoccupied doesn't see me gaping upward at the vision, glowing fields of every color imaginable are studded by dazzling bursts of light. Its beauty and complexity won't fit inside my skull. I groan and haul at his shoulders, pointing upward. He looks and smiles. What, have you never seen stars and galaxies before? 
Your ignorance only gets more. Those are the stars? Yes, the air you breathe on that dirt ball below obscures the true majesty of the heavens. This is the unobstructed view. When the sun is blocked by the earth, we have our own night up here. The Sulima have studied all that you see for thousands upon thousands of years and yet have barely begun to understand the secrets of the universe. We are in dialogue with other species around other stars, our messages only constrained by the speed of light. But with the distances involved, hundreds of years may pass before we receive replies. So we live here, drinking the sun's rays, playing in our internal realms, waiting for word. Then when it arrives, oh, then, that is what we live for. It is what gives everything we do meaning. Their answers peel back the mysteries of the universe for us, and the questions they ask of us only inspire more. Wait, back up. Other species around other stars? What are you talking about? What's a species? You are. Humans are. Horse things are. You still have those, correct? What Odeber pretended to be? Each is a species? And they are somehow floating around the stars up there like I was when you tethered me outside? No, Ofarkar, try to understand. They are living on planets like Earth, or as we are, on nearby structures like the Kuluisterophyx. We speak by tight beam and an adaptive form of optic holism. The stars are abuzz with life. We are in concord with 29 species and maintain observer status with another 17. We are only in active conflict with three. Wait, back up again. Living on planets, like the one below us, does that mean we are somehow spinning around a star ourselves? The sun is a star like any other. From a great distance, it is a faint light against all this grandeur. This is not the center of the universe. It has no center. The sea of light is endless. In fact, we are not of major stature by any consideration. We have what is called stepchild status, and frankly, we prefer it. Yes, lord of whatever you call yourself, we are not alone, nor are we supreme in this universe, not even in our own galactic neighborhood. I scowl. Preposterous. But then the familiar shape of the Milky Way wheels across the starry field, but a thousand times brighter than I've ever seen it. Now it is a furnace of indescribable heat, a collection of stars glowing in a bonfire to vanquish the void. I have never seen anything so mighty. Oh, vertigo, vertigo like I've never felt before. I wheel and stumble against If with a ragged cry clutching at him. I retch onto his black pleated tabard and he squawks in shock and disgust. The others gasp and draw back. Ah, beg your pardon. I push myself away from him and readjust my tunic. They never see that I picked the little book from his pocket and hid it once again in the folds of my robes. Fools. This is the dash, If tells me. I collect myself, then turn and bow. But there is no one there. Who is? Did he leave? No, the dash is this console. In fact, the dash is a distributed intelligence throughout the architecture and all the Suleiman. We commune with the dash all the quarters of our lives. 
in here. He places one hand on his head, one on his chest. But for someone like you, an external representation of the dash is necessary. So, here it is. You're introducing me to your furniture. I'm introducing you to my master. I study the console with a frown, featureless like everything else. I tap its steel surface with a fingernail. Nice, I manage. For the dash to meet you, please insert your hands in these holes. Eh, I back away. Not that I don't trust you, but I used to have a very entertaining way of chopping off the hands of my enemies which involved holes like these. The dash is responsible for saving your life. It powered that utile in the medical ward. I was only there to input your selections. It would never cause you harm. Unlike you, who has knocked me out twice now, and shoved me out into the void, and pushed me off the edge of an open shaft, if unable to help himself, snickers. Why, he does have a mean streak after all. It's the first time I've liked him. Guilty. His mentor frowns in disapproval. Well, the old flintskin doesn't know me yet. He'll have plenty of opportunities to try to kill me later. Please, Mr. Absim. If indicates the holes in the console again. What can I say? That I refuse to play their games and demand they take me home? I don't even have a home. With a sigh, I thrust my hands into the dark, empty holes of the console. Flash. Now I'm elsewhere, a space clothed in soft light. Yet another abstract landscape. I still can't feel the earth, nor Ophicolus seething within me. I am but an eidolon of myself, a perspective without eyes or head or body. My focus skitters across a shining field of pink and purple sparkles. It feels somewhat like the bedroom of a four-year-old girl. Absim Totopas Grill. The neuter voice is breathy and kind. Be welcome here. Here? What you mean in my own mind? I'm always comfortable here, but thanks anyway. We are not in your mind. We have made neurochemical contact outside your corporeal structure to protect you from me. My scale and activity would prove... Yes, yes, I'm sure you're quite special. Outside me. To protect me. But is that really why, Dash? Or is it to protect you from me? I have a demon lurking inside me, you know. Yes, we do know. We know about all your capabilities. We have studied your memories and engaged in debates over how self-aggrandizing they may be. Your narrative of cruelty and destruction is too much to be believed. Either way, you meet all the qualifications for an abomination. It is most likely in the best interests of the citizens of Earth if we heavily remodel you and allow you to retain only a sliver of your current identity. I told your minion, don't touch the brain. The brain, the heart, the soul are mine. Under normal circumstances, we are a society based almost entirely on personal rights and permission. Yet you may be too dangerous to trust. Therefore, this may not be your decision to make. Let us ask some questions. Based on your answers, we can decide what the best course of action will be. Best course of action, my eye. Let me out of here at once. Now! Why can't I leave? We will not let you. As we said, this may not be your decision alone. We are a congress of billions of voices who must be convinced that you deserve free agency. 
Look, I'm a refugee here. I was running from their dungeons. Force imprisonment. Don't you care about that? You billions of voices? Hello? Your own memories indicate your imprisonment was quite deserved. Look, that's wrong. I mean, you don't know the Hummingbird Queen. You think she's just this sweet little trollop. Well, she's not. Her court in Tinana is a nest of vipers. Didn't you hear what Odeber said? He told if. Just ask him. We know of nothing of this queen or her court. We only know what you have shown us, and in your own mind she is in the right and you are wrong. How do you defend yourself when it is only you who makes accusations? A hysterical laugh escapes me. Why, that's just me. That's just how Apsom operates. I'm not a villain. Pay no attention to those memories. They are just stories. I'm a storyteller. Yes, that's all I am. I live a meager existence in truth, feeding on the crumbs of my betters when my tale grows lurid and violent enough to garner their attentions. I have never harmed a fly. Ask if I've only been a victim in his presence. If Elishalaity absolutely disputes what you're saying, you struck him. Only after I was kidnapped and removed from my dear home planet. I can't believe you'd blame me for that. I was under attack. And now you've stolen a book. Oh, that. You saw that. Just a clever bit of trickery. He stole the book from me. That book is implicated in the demolishments. What is? Demolishments, what are those? I'm innocent, I tell you. Here among the jewels of the solar system, at random intervals, an unbearable voice shouts with tremendous force. It accesses the core language underpinning each collection, the code that our ancestors built the dash on thousands of years ago. The unbearable voice makes demands, and often the demands are so extreme that the collection will tear itself to pieces in order to follow that order. Countless lives have been lost over the ages to the demolishments. They are the greatest mystery of our lives, and that small book appears to have something to do with them. Jewels, you say? I need to get out of this box. If I had hands in here, I'd squeeze them into fists. Listen, Dash, there's been a great misunderstanding. The book is a holy text. Connected to that demon within me, yes, that's exactly what it is. But now that he has been tamed by the void, it is harmless. Allow me to demonstrate. I swear it is nothing of concern. Ifs voice breaks in, filling the landscape of pink and purple light with alarm. Don't listen to him. He is a deceiver. That book is key to the demolishments. I use my most innocent voice. On my word, as the lost voice of Magadha, that book will give you access to powers you cannot imagine. Only release me from this prison so I may show you how it operates. Then I will give it to you as a token of my esteem and my price of entry here in Kulu Osterfogs. Oh, Dash, hear me! If implores them. Tell us more of this demon Ophicalus. It is then that I know I've won. I serve them a cocktail of truth and lies, anything to get them to release me. Then when they do, I grasp the book and open it to a random page. Thankfully, the verse is short. On the bridge, the Sulima watch me with fear. I smile fiercely at if and begin chanting the verse. Mestel Pestle, cancel the opulence, Sibad Kusterson. My voice grows unbearably loud. The wretches begin screaming, which is all I ever want. 
If claws at me, but I kick him away. The others have clapped their hands over their ears and collapsed to the floor. I change the last line to a more fitting declaration of doom. Bring on the demolishments. The architecture cracks. Oh, what joy. The panic in their faces is as sweet as wine. I laugh, my famous Apsim laugh, as I laughed from the Phoenix ramparts while the Ostasim burned, as I laughed from the nave of Hypath Cathedral in Stoma while the bishop died at my feet. I laugh, oh, how I laugh, as the metal tears itself asunder. So this is the secret of clerestomy, that every time we make a wish of the jewels, some ancient machine sets a complicated process in motion that ends in the deaths of countless Sulima? Never in my wildest dreams did I imagine a more vicious and devilish source of such power. It only proves to me that life is truly a heartless cold bitch, and I am made for her. If grasps at the hem of my robes again, his entire way of life shaking itself to pieces, his silica skin starts to vibrate apart, and he slides away into piles of glittering black sand. The other Sulima do as well. Why, look, I've conquered another land, single-handedly this time. Yet it is no land, and naught of it will remain. The floor beneath us buckles, then separates, and all these bodies spill out into the void, expelled by the air they had pumped into their chambers for my benefit. I laugh again at the last thoughts of these millions of souls, a fierce wish that they had never heard of Apsim Totopas Grill. The console plummets beside me. I grasp it, sparks crackling at its edges as it separates itself from the rest of the architecture. With a crow of victory, I thrust a hand into a hole. Well, Dash, now you know the danger of messing with the Lord of Chaos. You lie. Everything you are is a lie and a deceit. Why would you do this? Why? But look at all this splendid activity. Life is a filthy pool filled with dead bodies and trash. It is always my way to make the biggest splash. That, that's it. You have no other reason, no other guiding principle to your life at all. What kind of aimless existence is that? A highly entertaining one. Listen, I can tell you're dying, Dash. We're all dying, so I'll make this quick. We can see the jewels on the ground below, but we've never known what they're for. This magic we cast, called clerestomy, gives us our heart's desires. If we can see the night sky and the jewels flying above, those of us with the skill and training recite our verses and make our wishes, and then these jewels hear us, and boom. No, what are you saying? That it's nothing but the wishes of the savages on Earth that caused the demolishments. Yes, our savages destroy you, piece by piece, collection by collection, often for nothing more precious than a warm dinner or a crudely carved staff. Cruel, cruel, Absim, but what makes you do this? Why, why? Only capering before the fire. There is no answer in life to your why, only the energy of life and death itself. And now you are our only hope. Your only hope? Me? I laugh again. You are dead. We are all dead. Let the void take us. No. A metal circlet slides around my wrist. We cannot lose our concord. Here is a bracelet for you to wear. It contains the tight beam to our fellow species. It cannot be surrendered to the void. So to have it survive, then you, most loathsome of all men, must survive as well. 
Oh, that it is our destroyer who must safeguard it. Cruel fate. Would that the Epici or Mick could reach across space-time to save us. You mean those who live around other stars? Survive, Absim, until they answer our questions. Survive until then. A clear film surrounds my body as the ravages of hard vacuum blister my skin. Now I am protected from it, and in possession of the only thing the Sulima held dear. A detonation deep in the heart of the collection blows me clear, spinning away from the devastation I have wrought. Not a bad day in all. I spin wildly into the void. Vertigo seems inescapable lately. I can't stop laughing. Finally, my mind clears enough to realize I'd dearly like to return to the globe beneath me. But how to get there? I'm sailing on a trajectory up and away from it, and in the void there is no purchase, not a single thing I could bounce off. Before I go much farther, Providence favors me, a burning mass of the collection, which must have already crashed into something else to change its trajectory, now looms suddenly from above and slams into me hard enough to knock me out. When I regain my senses, the film that covers my face is covered in my own blood. It slowly fades as the film cleans itself, and now I see that I'm dropping toward the pearly blue field with the curving horizon. I can't tell at what point I switch from hurtling away from an explosion to falling from a great height, but the outcome is the same by any measure. I feel air again, buffeting me, whipping past the clear film. But I'm falling too fast. It scorches the air itself. My cocoon begins to grow uncomfortably hot. Now Ophicolos wakes. I don't believe it is the demon himself hidden in my fibers. It is more like his remote amanuensis. His face I see within me is a link back to where he waits in hell. And this heat pleases him, even as it cooks my flesh. He watches me suffer, his black eyes greedy with hunger. The agony is as great as any I've ever experienced. I gasp, and the superheated air scalds my lungs, and I die. No, not quite. He saves me at the very last moment, when my ravaged flesh can hardly sustain me. I drop like a falling star. My fevered brain contains no thoughts, only a dim view of the rising land seen through a tunnel of darkness. The demon chortles within me, basking in the heat and extremity of it all. Fortunately, Ophicolus is as averse to the water as I am. Our landing appears filled with it. But a single rocky horizon appears in the distance, and the demon changes the angle of my flight to reach it. I swoop low, skimming over wave-tops, and crash into a beach with such force I leave a furrow of glass hundreds of paces long. Do I black out? Do I embrace the pleasures of oblivion? Not a chance. After an eternity of pain and suffering, which Ophicolus most likely refers to as lunch, a number of hands lift me from the pit and turn me over so that I may regard the sun. I can tell from the looks on their brown, weather-beaten faces that they are disgusted and stunned by what they see. I cough, expelling smoke into the clear film, and they startle. Oh, they thought I was dead. 
a reasonable assumption. I move an arm, which only causes greater pain, and I cry out. They pull back further, some hefting spears. A few stare at the sky with speculation. As they do so, other parts of the collection start to fall in blazing streaks across the blue sky. They point to the mystery of it and jabber in some unknown tongue, then point their spears back at me. With the last of my energy, I formulate an appeal to Ophicolus that he restore me once more for even greater suffering in the future. But before I propose it, I realize that all that keeps me from my own power anymore is this clear film. Without it, I can heal myself. I begin pawing at my face with hands that are nearly stumps of bone and cooked meat. Every bit of it is painful enough to send me into shock. I resist it with the force of my formidable will, but I only have a few more moments of this before I must slip into unconsciousness. I lunge forward and grab a spear from an unwitting native. He yelps and releases it. I point its blade at my face and open my mouth as wide as it will go. Then I thrust the spear point into the clear film, making a hole. With my fingers, I pull the film from my head and shoulders and arms. Bits of my skin pull away, and I shudder with the cost of it all. Then, when enough of my body is free, I sink deeper into the sand and call all my geomancies to me. Beneath the sand is a shelf of igneous rock. This is an island formed by volcanic activity. I can sense the mantle pushing upward like a pimple in the earth, forcing this bit of land to break the surface of the endless sea. The volcanics are so affinitic that it appears to have no crystal grains at all, almost like a black flowstone. I sink into it like tar. Within the microscopic basaltic tracheandesite, my form knits itself back together, drawing from the inexhaustible power of the mantle. Now I have seen the globe in its vast glory. It is both wider and grander than I ever imagined, but now its stature is also diminished because I have seen the boundary of it. I have encompassed its magnificence and seen what lies beyond it, the void, the stars and the sun, and the species living around other planets. It makes my geomancy less special. It is not a power based on an essential pillar of the cosmos anymore. It is just a font like many others. I shake off this existential crisis and rise from the ground further afield. The spear-carrying men, dressed in little more than loincloths and feathers, still exclaim over the spot where they found me, arguing, it seems. I leave them to it and follow a wisp of smoke rising over the trees to their village in the jungle. As I approach the collection of thatched huts, I make two self-discoveries. First, it's been a long day, and despite the volcanics and their restorative powers, I'm utterly exhausted. And second, I'm entirely naked. Oh, and also second, my legs are still made of metal, but they took damage, and the earth, in her infinite wisdom, has filled the stress cracks with black minerals and white crystals once again smooth and strong, but now they weigh about four times as much. My beloved penis staff is gone forever. I'd had idle thoughts of sheathing it in gold, but alas, 
Perhaps I'd make another some day. But what's even worse, I've lost the small book of clerestomy. I halt before I enter the village. It is a small, bucolic scene, mothers and elders playing with children while their men have departed to investigate the sonic boom and earthshake. They appear fat and content and happy. I do not hate them, even though I know I will destroy them. What I hate is the sameness of their days, the smallness of their lives. Tragedy strengthens us or kills us, and this globe is overfull of both tragedy and life. So do the math, despoiler, and consign yourself to your bloodlust. The thing is that I grow weary of my hectic pace. This is not how Absim normally operates. It was only my flight from Tinana that necessitated it. But now, having traveled off the globe and back, none could track me here, as far from a lockshock as could be. This jungle island and happy people must be unknown to my pursuers. See, I'm not a screaming psychopath by nature. I'm a builder. And while death and terror are what I primarily build, it is still the thoughtful work of a craftsman, not a berserker's charge. So I long to finally slow down and stop. Perhaps I can just get a bowl of fish soup and someone to rub my feet for a few minutes before all the lies and deception and bloodletting begins. Humility, thy name is Absim. That's a new angle. Haven't tried that one before. Let's see if it affords me any respite from my manic escape. I duck my head low and shuffle toward the village. One of the elders sees me first. He stands, pointing, and calls out. Then he lifts a wooden tube to his mouth and puffs into it. Something stings at my neck. I stumble and fall face first into a broad-leafed plant. So very green. This time I do black out, and when I recover my senses, I'm trussed with my arms bound behind my back, face down in the dirt. I turn my head to the side to see that they build a fire and are sharpening their knives. Cannibals! I'd heard of these from fairy tales of the Seventeen Seas, and here they are, in truth. Excuse me? Hello? Yes, I'd rather not be cooked again but they ignore me, much to their peril. They don't know I can sink into the ground or steal the breath from their throats, even bound as I am. And I'd wanted so much to take a break from extermination. What people don't realize is just how tiring it is. Think about it. If murdering large numbers of people was easy, then we'd have all died long ago. But what I do requires an athlete's energy and a madman's obsession. Empires do not just fall on their own. But no rest for the wicked. I really miss my imps. They were so useful in situations like these. They could cut my cords and steal a baby and set a roof on fire before I even dusted off my clothes. Scratch that, still naked. Anyway, without the imps, I have to do everything myself, and that's another thing that is tiring me. I'm used to commanding servants and slaves. This is too much like common labor. I use the ire that sparks in me to ignite the air with a fingertip of thromedurgy. The cords sizzle and fall away, and I sit up. 
Men pointing spears crowd close, and I use a lysophic gust to knock them back. Now they scramble away in fear. Yes, you had to incur my wrath, didn't you? Couldn't just be welcoming islanders. Had to be bad. Well, here's what you get. I lift my hand and smite the air, combusting the logs of their fire across the clearing from me. They squeal and scatter, but I pick one elder up in a lysophic fist, perhaps the one who shot me with that blowgun dart, and toss him into the fire. He screams, but I cannot stop to enjoy it. Out of the corner of my eye, a village maiden lifts a wooden tube pointed at me. She puffs as I twist the air around me in a personal lysophic tornado, shearing the dart away. It does the same to a pair of spears that follow. Now they're making me angry, and this is how it always happens. First I start with a harmless prank, then it gets blown way out of proportion, and next thing you know, villagers have become holes in the ground. I think it is time to favor them with a dose of atospaticism. When I say the word, then you must say it too. When I say the word, then it must come from you. When I call out the word, then you must call it back. When you call back the word, then your souls turn black. I shape each sound with the rhythmic magic of the art. Soon, even though they don't recognize the words, they are swaying in time to my verse. I repeat the whole thing bringing the entire village under my thrall. My voice is hypnotic honey flowing through the air, washing through their heads and allowing me to drive them like lambs. The word you will call will be, but I'm interrupted by an invisible orifice that appears in the air above me. It inhales the air, stealing my words, and I look up in consternation. Can't a man finish a spell? I cry out as it sucks me up into its darkness and I vanish from that island forever. Thanks for listening to A Lot Shock. Stay tuned every week for new episodes. Tell your friends and keep an eye out for other stories told here on The Unuseful Hour. <laughs>